Welcome to Wild Quincy, a podcast that looks into the little-known and forgotten past of Quincy, Illinois. When you think of Hannibal, you think of visitors, attractions, the cave, and of course, Mark Twain. But have you ever heard of Joseph McDowell? Well, maybe you know him better by his nickname, Mad Dr. McDowell. Find out about this grave-robbing surgeon coming up next. Here's your host, Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman. Following our mid-season break, back with the second half of season five. Travis, we uh, always love when we get listener mail. And boy, it seems like we got a lot off that last episode. Yeah, I was I was thinking we may, Chris. It's always a popular topic for some reason. And uh, we had quite a few different people pipe up on Facebook and some emails um, the, honestly, there was more than we can really cover here. So you guys know who you are that reached out. It really is nice to hear from everybody. So thank you so much. We did spend quite a bit of time talking about it on the last episode of the Patreon episode. And I actually have some more, uh, stuff to talk about in the next one relating to that. So anything to do with chesty, chesty, uh, tight hips. <laughs> <laughs> Chelsea tight hips. Yeah, if you want to check out what's going on with that, uh, you might check out the Patreon site. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, definitely in that vein, Chris. So yeah, if you guys uh, really enjoy that, there's a lot more content to be had on the Patreon side, which you'll hear about in a little bit here. It's interesting to see, and I and it makes sense. You really think about it. the the interest that there is in kind of the underbelly of Quincy, because again, we talked about this. I remember us talking about this season one is that you know about the fluff, right? We know about the stuff that's out there that you see every day and all oh, the good stuff about Quincy, but you don't necessarily have, uh, you know, being shouted from the rooftops about the not so good stuff in Quincy, right? And yeah, so, it's so definitely in hushed tones in the certain circles you have to be, yeah, correct. So, so you know, just um, it's interesting to get into those those types of things, and we're, we're going to do that more just because, again, it's interesting to us and it's interesting for us to dig because you know nobody's really digging into this stuff necessarily uh, that often. I mean, historical society and stuff obviously does, but um, so we'll have definitely more of those, especially you know our our crime. Uh, bosses, if you will, and, and yeah. you know, I, I'm actually listening to an audiobook uh, about uh, James Earl Ray and kind of like the whole storyline with that. So that's going to be kind of interesting once we get to that episode. Hopefully, hopefully next season we'll get into that finally. But uh, yeah, so in being enjoying for more of those to come up, we'll definitely be uh, getting into the underbelly of Quincy uh, for uh, many seasons to come. Um, you know, we got to take care of some other business. You mentioned it already. Patreon, Travis. We always have all those episodes on there. I think we're over 60 now. You can listen to. They're, man, they're almost an hour each, if not more. So you have tons of listening time to listen to. You get a free trial. Some of those people take the free trial, and some of those people say, hey, I'm going to become a member, and I think we got a new one of those. That's right. Kelsey Stefan coming came on board at the Kelly Salazar Kelsey. level. We appreciate it, Kelsey. Thanks so much. And yeah, look, to your point, Chris, quite a few people, newbies, kind of dabbing their toe in the water and seeing how it feels. So we hope we'll uh, maybe have a few more next time. It's still, I was thinking about this the other day. So our Patreon episodes are are still like like tidbits from the episode we talked about. And sometimes it's just like 
a complete bottle episode. Oh, and yeah. It, and it, sometimes it's just like we just grab our drinks and have some fun. So you never know what food, you're going to get on Patreon. Yeah, food, food comes up a lot, yes. it seems like. So, yeah, yeah, it's strange how that works. Exactly. And so, uh, yeah, make sure to check that out. We'll have a promo for that coming up in just a few minutes. Uh, Travis, I believe, unless you have anything else, I think it is time for the question of the day. Are you ready for this? Yeah, lay it on me. What do we got? So, uh, you know, every every episode uh, since about season three, I think, we've always done this uh, words of wisdom from Adams County. And uh, our old friend Harry Hyatt, who uh, is the one that wrote the book. I don't know if you necessarily wrote the book or just put it together is the right way to do it. Collected but either way, the, composed it. There you yeah, go. Yeah. Sure. So, he uh, has written more than just that book. Okay. So, I'm, I'm going to give you a list. And, and some of this, for some of you guys, might be a guess. I'm going to assume Travis probably knows the answer to this question. Mm, that's but, not a safe assumption, as we've proved for the majority of this year, this season. <laughs> but I'm going to give you a list of books, and you have to tell me which one he did not write. Okay. Well, maybe, okay. we'll see. Okay. 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 So, so here's the list of Harry Hyatt books. Which one is not correct? So we have The Church of Albicenia, uh, Hoodoo, Conjuration, Witchcraft, and Root Work, Psychics, Facts, and Theories, or the Millers of Millersburg, Kentucky. So okay. there's your options. Which one of these books did Harry Hyatt, the guy who gave us the loving segment of Words of Wisdom from Adams County, which one did he not write? Was it the Church of Albicenia, uh, Hoodoo, Conjuration, Witchcraft, and Root Work, Psychics, Factor Theories, and the Millers of Millersburg, Kentucky? Okay. You think okay. you know this one? Uh, I don't have a, a crazy amount of confidence, to be honest, so yeah. we should, we'll see how my luck is. The questions might not be that great, but the backstory to uh, these books will be very interesting when we get there. Well, stay tuned for that, everybody. And we'll have that coming up at the end of this episode, but uh, we don't do this very often. Actually, we've never done this before, but we are going to take a boat and cross the river and visit America's hometown for this next story about a mad doctor. We'll tell you about that. Coming up next here on Wild Quincy. Here's what you missed on the latest After Hours episode of Wild Quincy. I'd love to know when all those brothels were torn down. I, I, I want to say it sounds like it was in the 40s, maybe. But, but uh, there's still boy. some in existence, too, though, right? Yeah. I, yeah, I, I, I asked so. that question and. It was funny when I was re-listening to it and I was listening to me ask that question. I made it sound, if you weren't really paying attention, I almost made it sound like I was asking the question, are there any current brothels that I can like go to today? That's, it, you, I had to like listen to it a couple times and be like, I, I didn't mean it that way, but it sounded like I was saying, asking that way. <laughs> So I Come was on, like, Iris, give us the lowdown. Yeah. What do you know about today? What do you know? Where's the good locations at? Our After Hours episodes are available exclusively for Patreon members by going to patreon.com slash wildquincy. For just a couple dollars a month, not only will you double the amount of Wild Quincy episodes at your fingertips, but you'll also be supporting our efforts as we continue to dive into the wild and crazy history of our favorite town. Also, as a Patreon member, you can take part in our live events and Patreon-only outings, as well as having access to our regular episodes two days before they are released to the public. It's easy. Just head to patreon.com slash wildquincy. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash wildquincy and become a wild thing today. (laughs) 
time to start another one of those, I believe this is an unexplained episode. I think that would be definitely makes sense for it to be an unexplained episode because this one definitely is going to scratch your head and it's a, a story about a guy that lived in america's hometown if you guys are not familiar for a cave that is there there i don't know there's like a cave or two in hannibal i'm not sure what they're called uh but there's a couple of them down there i'm sure you'll explain that here in a second but we're going to talk about the uh, a guy by the name of dr joseph mcdowell travis that's right uh real quick off the bat here he did not live in hannibal per ah. se chris but he was connected to Hannibal, and if you have done a tour of the Mark Twain Cave Complex, gosh, in the last ever, probably, <laughs> you have an un- undoubtedly heard a reference to this guy. But you probably, it's a very quick little reference. If you're not paying attention, you're probably going to miss it. But I often hear that, and that was the catalyst for me to dive into this uh, story, to be like, God, what's the story about that? That's weird. What's going on? Little did I know the treasure trove of bizarre, wild, insane information that I'm about to present to you. This is unexplained, and there are lots of things that will make you wonder why, why, how, what is going on. But this kind of plays a little bit like a people person, people episode as well, Chris. Mm, okay. So let's dive in here to Dr. Joseph McDowell. Let's do it. Joseph McDowell, Joseph Nash McDowell, if we want to get real technical, was born in Lexington, Kentucky in 1805. Now, growing up, as I talked about Hannibal, he actually had family there, including his maternal grandmother, who was also the grandmother to the local Nash family within Hannibal. Uh, It's likely that large family gatherings probably would have had Joseph and his family traveling to Hannibal from a young age. The Nash family of Hannibal contains uh, Abner Nash, who, if you're a downtown Hannibal uh, or a frequent downtown Hannibal, you can still see the building which he he actually uh, built. It has a historical marker that can be found upon it. I think uh, I think it might have been a like a general store at the time when it was opened. Um, another member of the Nash family was actually Tom Nash, and Tom Nash would act, was actually a really close friend of Samuel Clemens growing mm-hmm. up. And it seems likely that the stories of Dr. Joseph McDowell, which we're going to get into here in a second, probably, almost undoubtedly, found their way in schoolyard chatter between uh, between uh, Tom Nash and the future Mark Twain, who would go on to actually take little tidbits of these stories I'm about to tell you and work them into his own literature works, which we'll talk about that in a little bit. So back to Dr. Joseph Nash McDowell. His father was in the military. He was uh, actually serving in the Revolutionary War and, from a lot of accounts, was allegedly with George Washington for the famous crossing of the Delaware River, which, of course, has all been seared into our brains if you've mm-hmm. opened a historical textbook in the last, uh, sh- 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 I don't know, 100 years. Mm. Um, Joseph, however, wasn't really keen on following the footsteps of his father with a military career. He instead was focusing on his uncle. His uncle was Dr. Ephraim McDowell, and who he was, by all historical counts, a truly gifted doctor and like a groundbreaking pioneer in surgery. And this was in a time, surgery in a time when anesthesia or painkillers just really weren't used. So, you know, here's ouch. some bourbon. <laughs> oh, man, bite on this bullet. It's going to get rough. And let's talk about that for a second, because uh, Dr. Ephraim, actually, his whole house in, is, is actually a historical museum. Hmm. You see, Ephraim made history in 1806 
when a woman plagued by an enormous... Okay, now, if you got a weak stomach or you're a little grossed out by stuff, you might want to jump ahead a few minutes because it's okay. going to get real here for a second. So, Ephraim made history in 1806 when a woman plagued by an enormous ovarian tumor opted to take the risk of a surgical extraction under Ephraim's knife rather than yielding to the inevitable death by the continued growth and development of the tumor. Makes sense. Yeah. Dr. Ephraim conducted the surgery in a guest room of his house as the woman lay on a kitchen table. Friends, family, curious onlookers nervously waited outside the home. See, surgery was not common back here. It was kind of like voodoo, right? This was this was not in the you know, everyday lexicon. And so this practice was kind of thought not too great uh not too great about it. Everyone was very leery. And if uh, if the surgery was not successful and this woman died, this crowd outside the house would probably turn into like a pitchfork yielding mob mm-hmm. hell bent on revenge against Ephraim. Uh, you know, so no pressure, right? <laughs> no pressure, no pressure. Uh seemingly unfazed by this stress, Ephraim recited a special prayer written for the occasion as he carefully created a nine-inch incision into the woman's abdomen, only to discover the tumor was so large that it could not be extracted through the incision. It could not be extracted through a nine-inch incision, Chris. Um, So... This is the thought of everybody outside. Let's think of a plan B. So enter plan B. Ephraim and his assistant decided it best to drain the tumor of the nauseous fluid until it was a more manageable size. So they proceeded to do that, and afterwards, they were able to remove the 22-pound tumor. Wow. Now, now keep in mind, this was after it had been drained. Mm. So it would have been considerably larger. Uh, you know, who's hungry, right? This is, uh, <laughs> this, is, this is pretty serious stuff. And as gross as this all is, the patient remained at... Ephraim's home under the care of, of he and his staff. Uh, and just 20 days later, after the surgery, he entered the room to find her up and making the bed. So not only was the surgery a success, but the patient would go on to live a full, happy life and lived to, for 32 more years. Um, so uh, this so, was. So yeah, that yeah, was. And she was. Um not under an anesthesia at all no it didn't yeah yeah i i i would hope that they would have got her liquored up or something yeah, right. I, I don't know because <laughs> my god chris that's crazy yeah, that's so, rough so i mean think about this you're you're young joseph and you see this amazing feat and other feats that were performed by his his uncle dr Ephraim mcdowell this made a huge impact on dr joseph mcdowell as a child and he thought okay this is the way to go. I want to. I want to go into be a doctor. I want to go into surgery. I found my path. So McDowell ended up obtaining his medical degree in 1825 from Transylvania University. Nice. And uh, yeah, there, there were far less vampire jokes back then because <laughs> Dracula was not yet written. I mean, we're talking you know 18 early mid 1800s here. Mm-hmm. So while at the university, McDowell became smitten with the sister of one of his professors named Virginia. The two would go on to marry. The marriage would yield 10 children. Uh, most sadly, however, wouldn't reach adulthood. That was just based on the high mortality rate at the time and all the different diseases that were going around. And uh, this combination of grief, loss, and medical curiosity would also kind of lay the groundwork for some of these wild stories we're going to get into here in a second. So McDowell started his teaching career at Kemper College in St. Louis. So this brings him kind of into the region here. Mm-hmm. 
this uh, Kemper College today is no longer there, but it would have been roughly uh, north of where there's there's the Ralston Purina Company building in downtown St. Louis. I mean, it's right down in, yeah. in the downtown area. Um, so it didn't take long for a reputation to develop for McDowell. He proved to be a gifted teacher, often focusing on the human anatomy, and his deep passion for medicine and research just really shone through into his electrifying lectures to students. Uh, no one could doubt the virtuoso talent of Dr. Joseph Nash McDowell as both a surgeon and as a medical teacher. That is, if, if you could overlook his increasingly wild and eccentric behavior. Um, here's where we come to the point where I have to uh, say, I'm not making anything up that we're about to hear. <laughs> okay. You're going to wonder, surely this can't be true. This is true. Uh, let's, let's, just, let's, just get, let's just go on. Let's just get into it, okay? <laughs> as, as we all know, different doctors have different styles. Many call this little uh, je ne sais quoi the bedside manner. Dr. Joseph McDowell had an extremely unusual and jarring offering in this department, as is illustrated in the following account where a man who had been a horrific industrial accident that crushed his leg uh, basically needed it amputated to survive. Now, God, put yourself in the shoes, right? Or a shoe. It's future to be shoes. Oh, jeez. Um, uh, now, now imagine how scared and vulnerable this man must have you know, just been in pain, just horrible pain, awaiting the arrival of this doctor who was to take your leg off, right? Yeah. He knew what's happening. You'd probably be looking for a gentle, reassuring, compassionate, something to ease the this trauma. Isn't, this nice, isn't a Patch Adams thing, is soothing. it? <laughs> no, no, no. So that's that's what you would want. And God right. forbid anybody's in this situation. Yeah. You, that's, what, that's what you kind of think you're going to, you hope you're going to mm-hmm. get. Enter Dr. McDowell. Where is the damn rascal? I have come to cut him to pieces. Damn his trifling soul. Why did he not keep away from the damn machinery? Turning to the man. Sir, I have come to cut you up, damn you. The instruments are all ready. Now, sir, hold still and I will make quick work of it. Soon the leg had been removed and bandaged. The doctor asked the patient how he felt. The man replied, Doctor, you frightened me so badly I didn't feel you cutting off my leg. The doctor then explained to his unfortunate patient uh, that his whole behavior of profane and unorthodox way was done intentionally to help reduce the pain of the surgery, adding, My poor unfortunate, I felt all your pain for you. When the man had recovered, he told everyone... What a great man Dr. McDowell was. Wow. So what do you think about that? I mean, was that just like a a cover for his actual behavior, or was he like strategically coming in hot on this? uh, Boy, I could see it both ways. Can you imagine that? Yeah. I mean, I could see the the cool thing of if like, if it worked, if something worked, obviously it worked because this dude's freaking out. And then he's like, all of a sudden he's so confused because this, this crazy guy crazy just walked butcher in the door. of a man just yeah. comes in guns a blazing what's going on you know <laughs> yeah i totally it might be man it might have been before his time uh, okay so <laughs> this Head unusual yeah, exactly. Yeah. This unusual approach to his patients, combined with an increasing hatred of uh, Catholics and immigrants, <laughs> an undying passion to both privately and publicly attacking his contemporaries' reputations uh, that had crossed him, along with his fiercely opinionated, braggadocious nature, 
all wrapped up in a package of a tall, thin man with an angry demeanor topped off with wild, unkept hair with a high, shrill voice. He kind of tended to make a lot of enemies, Chris, uh, and not to mention the grave robbing. What, uh, huh? What? Oh, did I not, did I not get to that yet? <laughs> you didn't. <laughs> uh, well, let's, okay, let's talk about that for a second. Grave robbing, okay. All right, so, uh, all right. What you picture when you think of a grave robber, or kind of get a visual in your head, you, listeners, everybody, you probably think, okay, some seedy, grungy criminal, right? Drunk off the hooch, exposing the coffin out there, one shovel after the next, fresh dirt flying through the air, just eclipsing that moonlight, right? The eerie creak of the lifted coffin lid, exposing the still fresh corpse, then then stealing the jewelry off the dead, or like maybe holding the corpse for ransom to a mourning family, right? That's, you know, is that kind of in the ballpark? Sounds what about you're right. Thinking? Yeah, yeah. All right. Sounds All right. Well, you know, well, maybe in some some cases that that might have been the case. But the reality of the situation is actually pretty different. You see, at this point in time, the study of human anatomy in the medical world had a problem, a big problem. They didn't have a long line of people and by that i mean bodies (laughs) if you were going to study human anatomy you needed a human a dead one uh one that wouldn't particularly mind getting dissected poked and prodded and you know maybe having their skull passed around the room to other medical students not surprisingly not a long line of volunteers for this type of venture so What's a medical doctor specializing in human anatomy supposed to do about this? Well, if you guessed, scour the local cemeteries for a fresh grave, a ding, 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 winner, winner, chicken dinner. Wow. Now, sometimes it wasn't the actual doctors doing this, okay? Sometimes it was that seedy criminal element, making good cash. Yeah, making some dang good cash, going out there, digging some graves. That's a whole lot less work than pulling a 12-hour shift at the, you know, the glue-making factory across town, right? That's, mm-hmm. you know, nobody wants to do that. Uh, you know, especially given the fact that the grave robbers didn't even dig up the coffin, really. That would have been an insanely hard and inefficient. You see, what they actually did, and this was news to me, instead they would dig a small hole to the towards the head of the coffin. They would then break through the wood, slap a noose around the dead body, and they would just... Just pull that thing right out. Presto, huh. dead body. Sucked right out of the grave. Which happened in Quincy. Exactly. If you if you caught that, that's right. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and so, so presto changeo. Boom. You got a body for the doctors. Now, though it could be done by this seedy criminal, in McDowell's case, you see, it was often groups of his students. <laughs> Usually, McDowell was with them. <laughs> Uh, not not one to miss out on an adventure, I suppose. I mean, if you look past the act of grave robbing, it's you know it's kind of sweet, right? I mean, it's a night you know it's kind of a cool teacher, right? This cool <laughs> teacher going on the body, <laughs> yeah. the body run. <laughs> you, you know, you got a you got a pretty good relationship with your students. Um, this this is like you know going into if you're in college and you go out to the bar and you see your professor and you're all you know sharing a beer, right, shooting the bull. Which he also did. Um, his students meant the world to him. I mean, hell, he sometimes he'd even hit them up for money. Yeah, he, <laughs> he would literally try and borrow money from his students. Uh, true story. Yeah, it's wild. 
It's easy to see why his students loved McDowell so much. His students were, you know, comfortable enough with McDowell to even prank him on occasions without any real fear of repercussion. You know, he was he was just a he wasn't just like a pushover professor partying with his students. He really was a brilliant teacher and just like this passionate lecturer. His students would go on to become extremely talented doctors who had been thoroughly prepared for the real world due to this and other activities. I mean, this guy was unconventional, but he was effective. So wild character that but that we're not even we're not even to the crazy part yet um <laughs> really it, yeah this is wild so 1847 rolls around kemper college where mcdowell's teaching uh it's failing financially things things aren't looking good so mcdowell took it upon himself to fix the situation and ended up reorganizing the college renaming it the missouri medical college on this campus he began constructing a new building humbly called the McDonald, the McDowell Medical College. Of course, this this building was uh, bizarre. It consisted of two large wings, joined in the center by a fortress-like octagonal tower. The tower possessing a deck, which housed up to six cannons. <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. See, see. McDow- six cannons. McDowell's grave robbing excursions and outspoken uh, rattling mannerisms created a long list of enemies, and the likelihood that angry mobs would be descending upon this building, you know, it was pretty good. These six cannons, as well as his arsenal of about 1,500 antique muskets, which were rig- rigorously maintained by his students. Oh, oh, oh. And the uh, the brass breastplate that McDowell took to wearing for his own personal protection. Um, in fact, you know, in, in 2012, have you seen the movie Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter by any chance? Uh, I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. Yeah, okay. Not a lot of people did, I don't think. But... A character of an anatomy teacher who is secretly a vampire running a human blood farm in his basement is directly based off McDowell. <laughs> uh, in fact, in fact, in one scene, the protagonist is is trying to kill the vampire, and as they shoot a crossbow, the the bow is stopped by this brass breastplate that the vampire is wearing. So <laughs> a total lift. Off the Doctor McDowell story there. Wow. Uh, this real life uh, brass bless, excuse me, brass place uh, of McDowell, as well as well as all this weaponry and the cannons. These were all just methods of protection for the school against McDowell's enemies, both real and perceived. Here, another interesting note about this tower: <laughs> it had intentional architectural voids and these were specially thought out and designed by mcdowell where he planned to suspend any of his dead family members which was some bizarre attempt at preserving their bodies which mcdowell really never expanded on so Hmm. here you have this octagonal tower and there's been intentional niches left in this by design so that he could keep his dead in his medical college. Okay, so let me ask a couple questions. Um, okay, give me, give me. What was the date when this was approximately when it was around this building? Uh, this in eighteen forty eight. This is when the building was oh, built. Okay. okay, it's no longer there. I was gonna say, yeah, that's that's a little too deep. No, I doubt that no. that building still exists today. But the boy, no. would that be an, a historical place? 
Oh boy. <laughs> Do some ghost hunting in that place. That's right. Uh, okay, the college also featured, it wasn't just a, a mausoleum for his dead family. It also featured a dissection room, a lecture hall, laboratory, and a museum that contained animal specimens, both living and dead, mummies, and apparently much more. McDowell opened the museum for public tours and charged 25 cent admission fee. Uh, don't don't uh, don't forget the bear though. You see, he he had in his possession what was known as a cinnamon bear, which was just kind of a reddish color variation. Some say black bear, some say brown bear. Um, I'd love to sit here and look you in the eye and say that he didn't turn this bear loose on an angry mob, but he did. Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, anyways, maybe we'll talk about that more on the Patreon side. Okay. Uh, this new college was the castle Always to the McDowell. Yeah, the bears. Yeah, this. I mean, this puts the uh, the petting zoo over at uh, the hillside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah to shame. Uh, the new college was the castle to McDowell. I mean, it was a castle. He built this thing. It was all him. He, by all accounts, was the king of his castle. He became a legend in his own time, especially to his adoring students, who couldn't get enough of his electric lectures and hands-on teaching, seeming to give life to just all the old dusty bones as he had interesting little stories and tidbits about nearly every topic. Among his students was a James Andrew Hayes Lampton. Uh, James found out that he couldn't really stomach the sight of blood and gore and realized that medical college really wasn't for him. So after he sought out a different career, he probably told tales of his time under studying McDowell to his uh, nephew, who happened to be Samuel Clemens. Hmm. So another little tidbit of uh, where Sam Clemens here is kind of getting all these crazy stories in his head that would kind of eke out into his literature in the future. Anyways, McDowell carries on teaching, cussing, helping students procure bodies, creating new enemies, tending to his archaic collection of muskets, feeding the bear, you know, basic medical, basic medical college stuff, right? Just a normal Tuesday at a hospital. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, And one expected event, which involved his uh, evading angry mob storming the castle with help from his dead mother's ghost. (laughs) Yeah. What? Yeah, 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 I didn't miss me. Uh, uh, that's right. You heard me right. McDowell not only believed in ghosts, he believed that the ghost of his mother saved his life. Oh. Here is the account. Okay. A German girl died from an unusual disease. McDowell had treated this girl prior to her death, and he was hellbent on getting her corpse to learn more about the disease that took her life. McDowell and his students were successful in doing so. However, the secret of the grave robbing made it back to the girl's family, right? Not too happy to hear about it. They, along with a large angry mob, stormed McDowell's medical school to catch McDowell red-handed. McDowell was caught off guard and in a hectic manner was able to hide the body of the girl while madly running around in the dark in this medical college. When McDowell struck a match to help help him see, he saw before him the apparition of his dead mother beckoning to him. He claimed that the ghost of his mother went on to lead him throughout the dark halls, avoiding detection of the angry German mob who was actively storming the building. The ghost of his mother led him to the dissection room. McDowell, out of desperation, laid on one of the vacant dissection tables and threw a white sheet over himself, pretending to be one of the dead. The angry mob miraculously 
did not look under the sheet where he was hidden and instead moved on, allowing McDowell to escape and go home. On another, on other occasions, McDowell claimed that while he was during doing difficult surgeries, he often felt the presence of his dead mother in these cases, the sense of calm and grace that helped him uh, to be successful in these challenging procedures. So he could see dead people, Chris, <laughs> at least his mother. Wow. Um, I know, right? Surely I'm making this up, you would think. But no, this is this is all real. How many how many mob occurrences did we have? At least two. Oh my gosh. At least two. Yeah. Wow. Uh, his encounter of the afterlife only added fuel to the fire of his curiosity. And following the spiritualistic movement that had taken hold of the country at this time, McDowell closely followed the rise of the Fox sisters in 1848. Mm. Now, we've we've hit on this before, I think. These sisters were celebrities in this age of spiritualism and uh, were thought to be able to communicate to the dead through these elaborate seances that would end up kind of being hoaxes that would be revealed later. McDowell extended the, uh, or excuse me, McDowell attended the Fox sisters' public seance when they visited St. Louis. He must have been impressed as he stood up and applauded them loudly at the conclusion of the event. McDowell not only attended these seances, but he was an active participant on multiple occasions. Once, a gathering saw participants seemingly seemingly conjure the apparition of a girl who seemed to communicate that she had been killed hundreds of years ago in Egypt. Given McDowell's interest in the spiritual movement and an afterlife, it seems fair to assume that his experimentation in, in body preservation, we're going to talk about here in a minute, was might have been directly connected in his interest of this, you know, great beyond, so to speak. So in the strangest of stories, uh, and I think at this point, that's, uh, you know, that's starting to say something. Mm, yeah. <laughs> uh, the strangest, I think, I think it's involved- like, it's like now you're going, all right, now, now let's get into the weird stuff. Uh, let, let's talk, let's talk about the crazy stuff now. Like exactly. what have we been doing in the last 15 minutes? <laughs> Boy, it's uh, you know, this was hard to even write notes about because you're like, it's been so much time. Like, okay, how do I even pick what you're like? Am I kidding? Are you kidding me? Oh, (laughs) this book, the the book, which I'll give you guys a heads up on where to find it, uh, was wild, wild read, wild read. Okay, so okay, talking about some stranger stuff. Uh, that involved his experimental attempts at preserving the bodies of his own loved ones who had died. When several of his children died at a young age, their bodies were placed in a, uh, a bronze or copper tube, and it was kind of like a coffin, kind of more of a sarcophagus. Some reports say that it, it had like a glass window or a front that you could view the body. The body was placed inside this tube, and alcohol was filled, the, the actual vessel of this mm-hmm. sarcophagus, with then tightly sealed. Um, his family members' coffin-like enclosures, sarcophagi, if you will, were suspended within the medical college's tower in these pre-designed void that I spoke about a, a while ago here. So, at some point, now we're, we're veering back towards Hannibal here, Chris. At some point, McDowell purchased the cave in Hannibal. At the time, it was known as Sims Cave. Today, it is known as the Mark Twain Cave. This cave, which had been known to have deposits of nitre, or nitter, I'm not sure of the pronunciation there, which was a mineral from which saltpeter is extracted. Now, saltpeter is a, a main ingredient in gunpowder production. Now, given the paranoia of McDowell, 
both real and perceived of his enemies, it makes sense that maybe the move to buy the cave may have partially been to have an active ingredient of gunpowder cl- at close at hand. Okay. Okay. This cave would also uh, be used to store various ammunitions, including several cannons and a boatload of guns as well from McDowell's collection. Hmm. So another interesting aspect of saltpeter is that it was an active ingredient in the preservation of meat. Mm. Could this preservation aspect further be a catalyst to, uh, to continue his preservation experimentation on the human body? Now, when McDowell's 14-year-old daughter died at the age of 14, uh, after a battle of pneumonia, her name was Amanda, she was initially placed in the family tomb at the medical college uh, for several years at least. And once he bought this cave, the body uh, was actually taken from the medical college and the sarcophagus was suspended from the ceiling of the cave in Hannibal. It was here that her body remained for several years. Perhaps the cave, with its constant temperature of 52 degrees, was deemed by McDowell to further help with the preservation of the body. It remains unclear what, if any, experimentation was done on the body while it was in the cave. History really leaves no clues about it, so speculation has just kind of run rampant over time. Um, Could McDowell have used saltpeter from the cave to uh, as early experimentation for some kind of body preservation formula uh, you know though the body of his daughter was suspended in alcohol um no one knows if mcdowell stopped there at suspending the body in alcohol or if he may have been experimenting with uh, some kind of way to inject the alcohol into her body and this would have been pretty groundbreaking as as at this point no one had even you know really started doing uh, arterial embalming so he would have been way ahead of the curve. That wouldn't really happen until in the Civil War where you had all these mm. these bodies on the battlefield right. that had to get shipped back. They had to find a way to preserve these bodies. So it was this was probably, I'd say, probably close to 10 years before the, that started happening in the Civil War. So we don't know for a fact that he did it. There's some a lot of speculation. No one really knows what happens. Can I, can I throw in a thought? Please do. I, it makes me think that in those situations you wouldn't – um, you wouldn't use your own family members to experiment. I think what you would do is you would keep the family member as is, experiment on other people that aren't as close to you until you figure out what works, and then do it on your family. What's weird is he didn't do this this whole tube thing. In, in, in all of history, there's no other accounts of him doing it to anyone but his family. Huh. Huh. Strange, right? Yeah. Now, was the body suspension inside the cave just a means of storage, or was this secured stationary position desired for some type of experimentation taking place, be it active or kind of passive? Could McDowell's deep interest in the spiritualist movement and the occult maybe played into this decision as well? I mean, he's actively involved in this time with seances, yeah. you know, in the spiritualist movement. He believes in ghosts, Chris. His, his own mother, he claims, saved his life. Is he trying to go beyond the realm of medical here into the occult? Um I don't know. We don't know. That's what's that. I think that's what kills me the most is what was he doing in this cave? Yeah. I mean, what's there's no reports that I found where he's actually in the cave for extended amounts of time. I mean, he still lived in St. Louis, but his his 
daughter's body was in there, I'd say, long enough that it became a fixture to the community. Hmm. Um, we don't know. What we do know, however, is that the people of Hannibal were none too pleased to discover that McDowell's dead daughter was being stored in this cave and was quickly becoming a local legend among the children of Hannibal. Despite McDowell having placed a locked iron door at the entrance of the cave for security, local children found other ways into the cave. Many voyages into the cave by Hannibal youth took place to look up uh, Amanda's sarcophagus. It's unclear to what extent they were able to view the body. Some reports say that the body was viewable through a glass window or some kind of panel in the sarcophagus. Other more colorful stories say that the children would remove the lid and physically grab the corpse by the hair, bringing oh my her God. lifeless face into view <laughs> to view the horror and shock of any other children, you know, wow. coming along on this wild adventure. Uh probably didn't happen yeah. i think it would have been very sealed probably sealed my, yeah my god the stories the kids must have told back then <laughs> um parents and the overall people of hannibal were outraged and they called for mcdowell to remove the body at once it's unclear for how long amanda's body remained in the cave but some accounts it may have been there for multiple years if not more so was it still Amanda, there today? <laughs> no, no, it is not. Amanda's body would later be relocated back to the family vault in St. Louis at the medical college. However, questions linger if the spirit of Amanda ever left the cave, Chris. Mm. So to your question, maybe. <laughs> See, there have been multiple sightings of the ghost of Amanda in Mark Twain Cave by both tour guides and those on cave tours. One guide recalled seeing a beautiful dark-haired girl in an old-fashioned dress and cape standing near the entrance of the cave. Others have claimed to see her looking out from the mouth of the cave that once served as her final resting place. One former tour guide recalled in the 1990s a sighting where they experienced a cold chill. They turned around to find themselves staring at what they believed to be the ghost of Amanda. For a moment they thought the ghost was a lost tourist until it turned around and walked off straight through the cave wall. Mm. At one time, the manager of the cave would recount many more similar encounters of the possible ghost of Amanda as well. With McDowell's interest in spiritualism, I can't help but wonder if he actively tried to communicate with his daughter's spirit deep in the dark cave. Perhaps seances took place in an attempt to speak to the dead. Could all his attempts at body preservation somehow be a bridge to the continued communication of the soul or the spirit of his daughter? Maybe he uh, he succeeded. Hmm. That's the thing. We don't know. We don't know what happened. As Go ahead. You're, no, I was just going to say, you know, it, it, it's interesting that, and I saw this as something else recently. Uh, it's actually called... Um, um, Tom, Edison's ghost. It's a book about Edison. Really? And, um, you know, him and Tesla both believed they could communicate with the dead. And both of them built their own machines to be able to do that. You could actually make right. Edison's machine today. There's the, because he made a patent for it and the oh, patent was yeah. available. You could still make it today and, and ghost hunters make those today so they could use them um, to investigate with. But, you know, it's interesting to look at the concept of a people who 
have are geniuses really in, in, in all reality back in the day they're geniuses in their field and, and they're yeah. so good at what they do but yet they have a strong opinion and strong belief in the paranormal and after you know after death yeah. kind of stuff yeah spiritualism was so rampant as a movement in in society in this time frame that even included edison and tells and tesla as well so it, it's wild to think that these great minds would uh, would continue to go into that hypothetical field yeah. of of talking to the dead. And the reason I bring that up is because it does make me wonder if, you know, maybe there was some sort of theory with him being so involved with this uh, spiritual movement that he thought there was there's some legitimacy to, well, a couple things. And, and this brings in my ghost hunting background. I was getting ready to ask some questions. You see, see where you're going. Yeah, limestone. Okay. There it is. That's my question. Yeah, is exactly what, where, where you would go. All these caves. Um, Again, my experience with another podcast, uh, whatever, um, is that there is, um, in the Hannibal area, there's a couple different levels of different, like, um, of 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 uh, rocks, right? So right. different formations. Uh, but there's one huge one that's a limestone formation. It is called the Louisiana Formation, and then there's also the the um, Burlington Formation. Um, the Louisiana Formation, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, is 57 feet deep. Okay. Oh wow. And that is the found formation that it's all limestone. It's 57, literally 57 foot deep of limestone. It covers the whole Hannibal area. It covers pretty much all of Northeast Missouri. Um, but uh, Hannibal's really well known for its caves because that is the level. That 57 feet is where all those cave formations have occurred in the Hannibal area. Is that true for Quincy as well? Yeah, yeah, it's the okay. same same saying. It's not it's yeah. not called the Hannibal Formation, obviously over there. But right. yeah, the right. uh, the for the most part, like Burton Cave would be the best example. Is it's at oh, the okay. same level as as Mark Twain Cave and those caves are at. So it's in that same limestone uh, formation. But again, take fifty seven feet of limestone as you have in Mark Twain cave and knowing that limestone is a potential conductor, uh, when it comes to, to potential, you know, paranormal stuff. Um, that's a just factor. In a, just from a purely scientific standpoint, uh, that type of crystalline structure with the mix of limestone crystals can contain energy. Right, right. right exactly. So if you're, if you don't, if you're not talking woo, you're just talking straight science. Yeah. It can, but if you want to translate that into the paranormal, the idea that you're speaking of is that Stone perhaps, yeah, perhaps the essence of a time or of a yeah. being could somehow be captured and replayed over time in a loop, right? Right. Is that what you're yeah, exactly that? right. And so that's why, you know, a lot of people talk about, um, you know, our area and areas where you have this thick limestone layer is known to be will have more ex, more paranormal experiences because of that limestone being kind of like be a tape recorder. Right. I am going to throw something else out at you real quick. Yeah, what do you I got? don't know if we're if, are we at the point where we can talk about some of the paranormal stuff within this. Yeah, well, okay. well we got a like a couple of paragraphs okay. worth of stuff, so not much. Going. Okay, yeah. um, most people do not know this, uh, and, okay. and, and it, there could be people out there that actually disagree with this statement, but we've heard from a couple different sources now, and this also goes into play. So one of the other things when you're talking about paranormal is to do with water flow. Okay, so if you have like, uh, like you know, obviously the Mississippi River, things like that's creating a lot of positive ions or negative ions. I can never remember which one, um, but that is a is a can supposedly be a conductor for paranormal activity and, and for paranormal um, for entities to be able to interact. Okay, 
what some people don't know, and actually I would say about what 95% of people don't know, is that there is, for most of the time, there is actually, and this again could be argument of that some people would disagree with it, but it's been read in a couple different books now, is that there are spots underneath Mark Twain Cave where there is flowing water under the cave. I believe that. Yeah. So there's a couple. They're called. I, I'm, I, I'm not going to say it because if there's any splunkers out there that's going to yell at me and tell me I'm saying it wrong. Um, but there, uh, there's certain areas. There's a specific hole, and I, I, I'm pretty sure it was in Mark Twain Cave. It may have been in Cameron Cave, which is the cave right across the the right. other hillside from Mark. Which Twain. Which was undoubtedly connected. If yeah, point for sure, absolutely. Yeah. Actually, all the caves at one point in time right. in that area were connected. Um, but. There is actually spots where there's flowing water that's underneath. It might be stale, but or stagnant water. But there is actually like another cave system. And the reason why that became such an issue is because we are we're under consideration for a cave we were looking at with Lost Boys. That mm-hmm. there's possibility again. Remember, there's 57 feet of limestone. Okay, in the cave, for example, for Lost Boys, there's only uh, the roof of that cave, like if you're in there, it's about it's it's from the surface, that top of that 57 feet, down to about 17 feet down. So about about 17 feet. So that means there's 40 foot of limestone below you that is not being seen. Okay, so chances are, and there, and I'll tell you a little quick side story. I when I was in one of those caves once, when you would step every once in a while, it sounded like it was hollow underneath. Oh, so there's. S- yeah. potentially Swiss cheese effect. Right. Being it, there could be there, there could be like this silt layer of a foot or two deep, and then it could be another thirty-seven feet of nothing below it. Mm. So mm. that's where there's always a thought of okay, if there's sub levels in Mark Twain caves, the same situation where you have that fifty-seven feet and it's not all you know, not all exposed. So there could be some underground levels. So again, long story long, is that. That could be another factor is having that water flowing through that Hannibal cave system. That could be another thing that could have been helping him that's, out. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 The, uh, he, he, the mind, I mean, I can't say how the mind races when you start thinking about it. Like, what was he doing in there? Was he doing anything? So why would he do it? Lo, so I think that's your paranormal side. Okay. Yeah. But I think realistically, I think you already answered your own question. I think the reason why his daughter was in that cave was because of the consistent cool temperature. Yeah. You didn't that have seems that in to the, be 40, the most 1800s. But Chris, that what what's strange to me is why did he go to the extent of making sure that her body was actually connected to the ceiling, suspended? Um, why didn't he just lump it next to the cannons and call it a day? That's a good question. I mean, maybe it had something to do with. I don't know. Maybe be able to That's, see her if it. That, yeah, yeah. It, it, exactly. And and why would he need to? I mean, I yeah. guess for observation to see the effect, perhaps, of the the you know the the temperature, the consistent temperature. But what's strange, Chris, is is she didn't die and get shipped right to this cave. Yeah, she right. died in for I think you know. Here's the deal on stuff this old. You don't have a lot of right. specific dates. But it sounds like that she had been dead for a year or two, or maybe a couple, you know, living, you know, being kept in a non-thermally controlled area. Yeah. But for some reason, although multiple family members, including his first wife, were treated this way, she was the only one that was relocated to Hannibal. Huh. Which is strange. I don't know what it, to make it of Maybe it was timing. Maybe. You maybe. Know. Yeah. I don't know. But I, I also, know. there's another thing that bothers me about this, and maybe... Maybe it's just a money thing or a cost yeah. thing. There's a lot of caves between here and St. Louis. 
There is. So there why is. why Hannibal? Well, I I would guess that I don't know if it was actively a known that he w- it was up for sale. He had family in True, Hannibal, and that might have been and why. so he may have been exposed to the reality of this cave being there. He was very obsessed with caves, Chris. He even visited the Mammoth Cave in what in Kentucky, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Kentucky. He had advanced plans to have all his family buried in similar situations, including himself within Mammoth Cave, but that wow. fell apart. There's actually his huge signature. Imagine that, a guy with a huge signature. That's <laughs> uh, Actively, you can find pictures of it in Mammoth Cave today, wow. so he definitely visited it. Um but I don't know. Let's 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 tie yeah. up the loose end here. Yeah. So uh, you know, I'm I'm condensing a lot because that is kind of the echelon of the curious thing here. Yeah. I and mean, this is this is when you're on the cave tour, they'll pause for a minute and they'll kind of point down a way that you don't go on the cave tour, and they'll reference the daughter of jo- Dr. Joseph McDowell, and that's about a little one two minute snippet of this crazy story here. Um, there's nothing left of her body there today. The only thing that, to my understanding, that exists, and I haven't seen it with my own two eyes, but I've, I've seen pictures, is that the actual bolts or whatever structure helped suspend this uh, sarcophagus can still be visible. Mm today so that's the only thing that remains unless you think amanda you may have seen amanda (laughs) floating around in there so as our country headed towards civil war mcdowell was quick to claim loyalty to the south so st louis itself was kind of a that middle ground missouri itself was a little bit union a little bit confederate it wasn't just a clean cut there so he recited Left the college in a commencement speech for graduation. He said, "Sorry, guys, taking a taking a leave of absence. I'm going to go fight for the South." Hmm. So he headed down, became a surgeon for the Confederate Army. Not a lot's written about his time in the Army, uh, from all accounts that I could see. He Probably a lot of yelling, fight. a lot of yeah. yelling to tell, Most you know, yeah, to get him to get him get him off their <laughs> off their I, game. I, so I, can... I envision multiple uh, him pitching the idea of all these muskets from the Revolutionary War to the Civil War guys, and then being like, "Yeah, that's great. We uh, those are old. We can't really use those. Sorry, <laughs> like, but I got this cave with saltpeter and these cannons. Like, yeah, 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 that's yeah, this guy's uh, bleeding. Can you just go? Yeah, cut you know, his leg off you cut a leg off here just go in raise some hell uh so not a lot to be said about his civil war career however upon the conclusion of the war mcdowell was graciously pardoned by the the president uh at the time andrew johnson Mm. andrew johnson actually found the actual pardoning papers wow cool where they and so he returns to his college to find that the union had claimed it and was using it as a prison uh-oh. And it was, I guess, when, when they went to claim it, um, they had to clean out all this crap, right, to be a prison. So they just had loads and loads of, like, human bones. Oh, my gosh. And, like, three huge loads of human bones, like, all these animal carcasses. Like, there was so much weird stuff in there, Chris. And so he finally was able to make it back, and he, he takes control of it. They give it back to him, but it's a mess, man. It was a really like rough prison too, for for Confederate soldiers by the Union here. So he spent the rest of his life kind of getting this place cleaned up and back in warding, kind of working order. 
And uh, in September 18th, 1868, McDowell sadly died of pneumonia. And he was uh, buried in Bellefontaine Cemetery mm-hmm. in St. Louis next to his first wife and his children, including Amanda, who had been relocated back to the cemetery. So this grave, which still exists today in Bellefontaine Cemetery, uh, it went unmarked, actually, until 1942. I don't know if that was strategic and people afraid maybe they'd dig him up, but... Uh, when, when in 1942, the members of what is now the Washington University School of Medicine and the whole Washington School of Medicine ended up actually taking control of the college as time mm. progressed, it kind of became absorbed into that. Mm. And uh, so they in, in they ended up actually creating a stone and having it for him in 1942, which is still visible. So mm. one, at least one stone marks the, the grave of, of the whole vault of graves, I guess you could say, the whole area of graves mm. for his family. Now, though though McDowell's eccentricities make for a wild story, competing with just the strangest fiction you could ever write, it's easy to overlook the true brilliance of his medical accomplishments and the preparation for the next generation of medical professionals that would go on to you know continue to innovate the world of medicine and surgery. Uh, but that was all really due to McDowell's brilliant instruction as a teacher. So... His memory, though, strangely, it's kind of been lost to the popular culture. A guy this wild has, for the most part, kind of not carried through the legacy. Um, There was a lot of bad, but there was also good. Um, However, glimpses about his legacy, as I spoke of when we started here, is kind of leeches out into the mainstream in certain ways. We talked about Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, mm-hmm. and the character that's a nod to him, as well as the works of Samuel Clemens. Um, one of his biggest works, undoubtedly, is Mark is uh, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, right? Some may remember in the story, there's a character of Dr. Robinson, who... Uh, who made the ill-fated grave-robbing adventure with lovable drunk Muff Potter before being killed by Injun Joe. So Doc Robinson, who's stealing graves, is directly a tribute Mm. to McDowell. As well as if you remember the name of the cave in Tom Sawyer. It was called McDougal's Cave. Oh, right. When it was also a nod to Dr. Joseph McDowell. Wow. so there you go. That is the wild, mad Dr. Joseph McDowell. He didn't live in Hannibal, per se, but Hannibal was on his radar, not only from early life and family connections, but also for the legendary story of his daughter Amanda's body, which lived in the cave for several several years and may still be peeking around corners. Wow. So, well, this is where yeah. I put the plug in that uh, whenever, if we have any uh, Mark Twain uh, uh, ownership people listening, and they want us yeah. to get firsthand experiences of, of where that exactly is at, we I would wanna love s- to do it. I want to see the indentations of the sarcophagus yeah. with my own two eyes. It kills me. Every time you go on the tour, I think it's, God, I'm trying to remember exactly when it is on the tour. I think it's Seems like early. right after they turn the lights off. It's right after. Okay. I thought it was then right before. There's, there's that big hall, and you go left, but if you go right, that's where his the, the body was. Do we need to go you take never, a tour of the Mark Twain cave I want to go right, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go right. I know. I know. 
We'll have to do so that. So anyways, uh, you know, I got to give a quick shout out to the, the book Missouri's Mad Dr. McDowell, Confederates, Cadavers, and Macabre Medicine, Macabre Medicine by Victoria Cosner and Lorelai Shannon. Their book I have read multiple times over the last couple of weeks and served as the main uh, historical accounts for uh, the story here today. Crazy, crazy story, man. Um Hannibal really bringing it for the first experience of Wild Quincy and Hannibal. Uh, yeah, quite the story. And, and, you know, it's it's a story that we've heard a lot about. You know, and, and Travis, I think we were both in that situation when we were in grade school and did a tour of Mark Twain Cave. And, you know, I remember that story from way back 30-some-odd years ago when you, we took yeah. a tour of that place. And, yeah, it's and that, still that whole today. blurb is like a minute. That whole yeah. blurb about him and the 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 girl Demanda is a, like a minute, if that. Yeah. Well, it's so funny too. Like I, I don't know. This is a little off subject, but not really. But it's so funny how today, and I think that's why I appreciate Wild Quincy so much is because like there can be a a, a ghost tour. Okay, like example is a ghost tour, right? And the ghost tour goes through one place that tells this little bitty story about this place. Yeah. But yeah. it is such a bigger story than that, right? We're getting a piece oh, of yeah. the puzzle, but we're not getting the full puzzle. And I think you just gave us the full puzzle with uh, no, Dr. No, I didn't, No, <laughs> I didn't. There is more pieces to this puzzle about the life of uh, Dr. McDowell, which we'll talk about in the next uh, Patreon episode. Wow. Including his uh, weird uh, weird activities with his first wife's dead body. Um, and other, other strange accounts of him uh, in surgery. And... Uh, yeah, it's uh boy, this guy was wild. <laughs> wow, sounds like it was. Well, either way, well that is the uh unexplained episode for for this time with the Dr. Joseph McDowell. We'll be back with more after this on Wild Quincy. <laughs> sits in judgment. He stands for the law. Kind of looks like a hero and sounds like your paw. He smiles and he laughs. His voice tinged with gravel. But the bad guys gasp when he bangs his big gavel. Judge Wapner. Judge Wapner. When neighbors brawl, when lovers refute, when suppliers and buyers and liars dispute. Wapner won't let those law books get dusty. Got a buddy named Doug and a sidekick named Rusty. Rusty. With Wapner. Judge Wapner. Doesn't do it from towers, doesn't do it from steeples. He does it in court. A court called People's. Wapner. People's Court. Judge Wapner. Call him your honor. Judge Wapner. Judge Wapner rules on the People's Court. Song over. Song over. I don't know if that was it. I think that's Law and Order. Uh, am I wrong? What was no, this? Uh, no, that was that's Law and Order. But remember the the, the people's court that I remember was. There it was. Then they like stop and there'd be the type writing like plaintive, like so and so, so and so. They walk up the court, then the. Well, yeah. I would ask you if you remembered the People's Court. By Not a bit. 
Yeah, what you're talking about. Just remember the song. <laughs> That's all I got. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, I found I came across this one. I thought it was kind of a funny little ad uh, commercial for the People's Court. Yeah, don't recall that one at all. Oh, that was fun. I, you know, you almost forget about the People's Court in general because it's you know that was a long time ago. So I had to go do some searching. Uh, it had a long tenure. It lasted from 1981 to 1993. Man, that was they had a total of two thousand three hundred and forty half hour episodes. Wow! Uh, one of the things you know, and I think this was kind of funny, and it still it still happens today. I don't know if Judge Judy's still around, and then there was another one that kind of took the people. Yeah, there was over. a handful of those. Yeah, yeah, and there's still some around today that do this. But I was always like, this can't be legit. Like, are they just doing it just to do it? Well, evidently they are. It, like. The way it works now, and it sounds like this is the way it also worked back in the People's Court days, what you would do is you would sign an agreement that, you know, this would be taken out of court. You wouldn't, that's not necessarily law-abiding, but you would sign a contract agreeing to whatever the decision of the of the judge was. So that's how these, these courts kind of worked. It wasn't legal in the sense of a judiciary yeah. sense, but it was in the sense of a contract or contractual agreement. Yeah. 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 Uh, but uh, some quick background about Judge Wapner. Uh, he uh, lived to be 97 years old. Wow. Uh, died just in 2017, was born in 1919. He was an actual uh, uh, judge. Uh, he was appointed by Governor Pat Brown in Los Angeles in 1959 to serve two years uh, as a judge before being elevated to the Los Angeles County Superior Court. He served there for 18 years, then re- retired, and then um, he ended up going and becoming a, a bench judge from 69 to 70, and then was on also the California Judges Association until 19. 19- 76 and then in 1981 they came to him and said hey you know would you be interested in taking part of this new show that we got that's called the people's court and he said yeah for sure absolutely it sounds like fun and so then he did it for a whopping 12 years that's wild yeah uh ended up retiring and uh then somebody else took over there was actually a a couple of he he quit and you know went and retired and he actually kind of got not so much retired as the, the ratings went so low in 93, they decided to go ahead and kind of postpone it. Came back in 97, went till 2023. Uh, anyway, long story short, uh, they also had the uh, animal court. Did you know about that? <laughs> no, I, I missed yeah. that one. So uh, he, uh, there's, uh, it was on the um, animal, cha- animal planet channel. Uh, he ended up doing just a few years, like three years of, of what was oh, called. Oh, so there were still people. I thought maybe like. Yeah, the, no, no. It was like a dog and a cat fighting. Like you had like yeah. a real like regal looking yellow lab as the judge. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Like, like crazy like, chihuahua, probably a crack fiend. I imagine it as he's the judge and you have a dog on one side and a cat on the other. <laughs> and there's a conversation Place going on. Place your paw on this Bible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but no, it was, a, it was a thing that they had like people disputing animals and things like that. And it lasted right, a right, few right. seasons on uh, Animal Planet. One of these then, situations where, like, yeah. the, the, somebody would like get their newspaper stolen by a dog, or like some silly stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, probably. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who knows what it was? But anyway, so there. He there you was go. pooping in my yard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, oh, by the way, he also was. Uh, he served in World War II. Yeah, thank you received, for your service. He received the Purple there. Heart and the Bronze Star while serving oh. in the South Pacific. Wow. So that's very cool. cool. Yeah, very cool. So uh, Judge Wapner again passed away in 2017, but uh, had quite the exciting career. What a sure. life! Yeah. yeah, jeez. 
Ah, man, let's uh, bring out the golden pipes. And now, it's time for Words of Wisdom from Adams County. All right, Travis. Um, <laughs> you know I had to go digging. No pun intended. Uh, and so we, I knew, I didn't know the story about uh, Dr. McDowell, but I kind of knew some of the stuff from, like you yeah. said, when we yeah. were you know, fourth grade, taking the tour, all that fun stuff. Uh, so I had to go look up like body and cave and stuff like that. I did searches for that. So before I even get started, though, I did come across this one because I did a search for just the word body and I came across this and this really doesn't apply, but I thought it was interesting enough that I better get it out of the way now. Okay. Okay. So, so it's the numbers five, seven, eight, five, and it says here to prevent cramps while swimming, which usually it's just, you know, stay out of the water for, or don't eat 30 minutes before go swimming. Yeah. Right. So it says here to prevent cramps while swimming, rub urine over your body before entering oh, the water. Yeah. Standard practice. Like, like, what? what? <laughs> this is taking peeing in the pool to a whole new this is, level. Yeah, pee outside the pool, then rub it on you and go yeah. inside the pool. It's, <laughs> it's way the pool. different, Chris. It's 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 supposed to be healthier. Oh, yeah. It's like yeah, it's like it's like a spring. Uh, so yeah, I thought that was kind of funny, but I, I did find some that were cave and kind of corpse related. So I thought Always those would be good. appropriate for these. Um, I have one that is literally. If you guys have seen the book before, it's a, a decent size book. It's probably about eight or ten inches long, and this actually took up a page and a half. I'm not going to read it. We're going to do it on Patreon sometime because it is a crazy story that's about a ghost uh, haunting a house uh, near liberty okay. uh but we'll have that for you sometime i can't read that whole thing here but i i will give you a, another one here's a 10,386 it was a, a quote here it says one day i was sleeping and a loud clap of thunder woke me up it was daylight and in a vision i saw three small children take shelter in a cave the next day i heard the same thunderclap had caused the ground to cave in and cover three children in a cave chris you don't know how appropriate that one was <laughs> because McDowell, that was his one phobia. He was scared to death of thunder. Wow. We'll talk more about that. That on is the crazy. Side, but yeah. uh, it does say here in the quote, I took it as interesting. The, was this a vision of the Lost Boys? Mm. Mm. Uh, it does say here about 45 years ago during a violent storm, three children went into a cave that they themselves had excavated in the side of a hill near Second and Kentucky Street. The cave fell in and killed them. Yikes! Yikes! So that's an interesting. That story is pretty wild. To. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I, I just found that one kind of uh, ironic, so I wanted to get that one out. But uh, get you a couple more here. Four one one nine. Tie a string around a wart and let it stay there for fifteen minutes. Then put a string in a coffin containing a corpse, and when the body rots, the wart will disappear. <laughs> okay, so that's a that's a hell, hell of a step to have to make to get rid yeah. of a wart. Yeah, you got uh, another know one some here for that one. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Another one here. Uh, four, three, two, four. If a female child wets in bed, uh, place some of her urine in a bottle and let it drip out of the bottle until the grave has been dug for a male corpse. Whoa. And then you place the male corpse or place the, the bottle on top of the male corpse. And what? Oh, hold on. My brain just broke. <laughs> do, do I need to read that There's again? There's a lot going on in that one. Give me that one more time. If a, if, if a female child wets in okay. bed, place some of her urine in a Got bottle a and bottle. let it drip out of the bottle drip. until into a grave that has been dug for a male corpse. 
Okay. So you let her urine drip out onto the, into the grave. Yeah. So it also goes on to say, stop a male child from wetting the bed. Do the same with a grave open for a female corpse. Huh. <laughs> is that like going to okay. stop the bed wetting or is this just a fun activity yeah. for a Sunday? No. <laughs> I mean, what are we talking <laughs> about like, here? Hey, hey, kids, let's take this bottle, baby bottle. Don't be your urine bed. You'll have to go God. do the weird grave thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, and so finally, this is the one that if you're scratching your head, this last one will make you scratch <sighs> your head even more. Uh, 2875 goes this way. If you can get a get to let me start over. If you can get to a person as soon as they have been electrocuted and bury them in the ground with only their head out of the ground, it will draw all the electricity from their body. Words of wisdom from Adams County. <laughs> Does that make any sense at all? You know, as much as it can, yes. yes. <laughs> as much as it does yeah. for the wisdom and wits of the forefathers and foremothers of Adams County. Shocking revelations as usual, Chris. Yes, I know. I, I feel like I come away a little smarter when, when we listen to these. I, I feel like I'm, I'm more of a creative thinker with these as options of how to approach life. Like warts warts, and uh, corpses always bring up lots of weird flashbacks to these, this section, segment <laughs> yeah. of the show. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I always go back and think about when I'm listening to these and, and to give a shout out to a good friend of ours and, and uh, a person that's come on this note a couple times, uh, our good friend, Chad Douglas, we asked he him about this one time him. and he, he was like, him. he's like, I love some of them. And then some of them are like, huh? <laughs> I don't remember the love part. I think I just remember him going, I don't know if it's my cup of tea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you know anyway, what? it's okay. We're not for, it's not for everybody. That's right. That's right. And there's some crazy ones on there, man. Like uh, that preventing the cramps. is <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> oh man. Are we ready to get past the last piece of the puzzle? It's been a weird show, Chris. It has, man. It's been a what? perfect unexplained episode. Twists and turns. So we've just like a cave. That's right. Twists and turns. That's right. Uh, yeah, let's let's see if I know anything about anything. I feel like you're going to know this one. Uh, so time for the question of the day. You know our old friend Harry Hyatt, who we just uh, read some of his uh, writings just a few minutes ago with the uh, wisdom and wit of Adams County. Uh, he's written other books. And so which one of these books has he not written? And I'll give you the names of the titles of those books. The first one being The Church of Albicenia. The next one is Hoodoo, Conjuration, Witchcraft, Root Work. Number three is Physics, Facts, and Theories. And the final one is The Millers of Millersburg, Kentucky. Boy, they are so random in names. They really are. Yeah. So, so Travis, I know this is a weird one. And uh, if people are listening, I I mean, I understand you don't know which one it is. Take a guess. But, uh, Travis, you might have a little more insight than the average person. Do you want to take a shot at which one it is? I know he did the hoodoo. That's, uh, that's yeah. for sure. Um, the Millers of Kentucky is that what was the, the Millers name? of Millersburg, Kentucky? See, a lot of his hoodoo research was in the South. So I mean, Kentucky isn't super far in the South, but I have no context on what the Millers are. Okay. If it was like a weird culty thing or something like a culty, then maybe he could dabble his toe in that water. What's the first one again? The Church of Albicenia. God, I don't know about. that. That one, I have no, I just don't have any context. And then the uh, other one was physics, and what was it? It's uh, physics, facts, and theories. 
I mean, <laughs> facts. Man, I thought this was going to be harder than easier than I thought. His his sweet spot that I'm aware of wasn't necessarily fact based. It was more like folklore based. Mm-hmm. So the fact that he had a physics, facts, and the, uh, the theories part is... Uh, not physics. Uh, psychics. Did I say Psy- physics? Oh, psychics. 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 Oh, well, ooh, that just uh, made it more enticing for yeah. uh, psychics, he would have written. Psychics, facts, and theories. Uh, and the first one is the Church of Albicenia. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, I wish I knew more at the Miller's thing. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to pick the first one, although I really don't know. The, yeah. the Church of Albicenia. Yeah, let's go Albicenia. with that. Man, we went two for two, and now we are going to go back in the lost column. I'm wow. surprised. I thought for sure you would have this one, buddy. No, no. I'm wow. not super knowledgeable about all his works, mostly just the folklore and the hoodoo stuff. Yeah. So uh, The Church of I'll Be Seeing You was written by Mr. Hyatt in 1928. Okay. okay. You already knew the hoodoo, conjuration, and witchcraft root work was a book that he did write. It's actually a series. It's Multiple like about volumes. five volumes. Yeah. By the way, if you want to buy it, it is available on Amazon right now for $7,444. Or you find the deep recesses of the internet and find a PDF of all volumes. Yeah, or, you know, but it's a first edition. So, I mean, take it as you will. <laughs> Collectors. Yeah. Uh, the Millers of Millersburg, Kentucky is an interesting find because that is another one of the books that he wrote. Okay. okay. And it is about uh, the Miller family that was from Millersburg, Kentucky. The well, reason that's interesting. Yes, uh, is uh, the Miller family was uh, John Miller founded the city. However, probably the more mentionable thing about that is Millersburg is located in Bourbon County, Kentucky, which, of course, is the birthplace of bourbon. So that's kind of cool. But the one that we uh, failed to mention and we skipped was psychics, facts or theories. That is not a Hyatt book that is actually ironically enough we're talking about Hannibal it is from a former reverend that lived in Hannibal and that was a uh uh, reverend for uh, the church that is haunted in Hannibal. Oh, right, right. I remember you referencing that book. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we will, uh, and I'll give you more details about that. Uh, it's a story that since we're talking Hannibal, I'm going to give you some some unexplained stuff from Hannibal from our, our research from back in the day. Let's just say that this dude uh, was a uh, reverend for the church, uh, had such an experience, he left uh, the religion, went to New York, and ended up writing books about ghosts. That's a that's a weird switch. That's yes. a weird switch. So Chris. yeah. So the answer, unfortunately, the one that he has not written was psychics, facts, and theories. So there okay. You go. Well, I, I have my work cut out for me. I We're guess. not just doing this because uh, we like Mr. Hyatt because we definitely do because our, our our podcast would not be what it is today without his wit and wisdom from his Crucial. research. Crucial. Uh, but we're doing it because it's time to dig down the well of who this guy is. And Travis, we're going to do that with somebody special. That's right. We are so excited to be welcoming back uh, one of our favorite guests, I think we're safe to say. Uh, former Mayor Chuck Schultz is coming back to do the episode about uh, Dr. Hyatt. He and his uh, parents actually were friends with uh, Dr. Hyatt. I guess on multiple occasions, uh, he actually joined them for dinner and for other visits. And the whole Schultz family was uh, well well knowing of Dr. Hyatt. And we're excited to hear those kind of accounts and learn more about Dr. Hyatt as well. So stay tuned. It's going to be a fun episode. Yeah, uh, it's probably to be having better to be having di- dinner with Doctor Hyatt over Doctor McDowell. Just saying. 
I don't know, man. <laughs> like, in, if you weren't German and Irish... Uh, or um, Catholic. Or Catholic. <laughs> so anybody in Quincy is kind of rolled out here. Yeah. Uh, it probably would have been okay, but otherwise he probably would call you a lot of names. Yeah. So. I'm going to assume Dr. McDowell did not make many trips to Quincy uh, in his days. Uh, LaGrange is as close as, besides Hannibal. He, yeah. he did create quite a stir in LaGrange after <laughs> oh, calling out. Yeah. He pissed off a lot of Irish and uh, Catholics. Oh, and, boy. Yeah. He yeah. spoke for four hours, I believe. Wow. Uh, yeah. yeah. So we'll have yeah. more of that coming up on the Patreon episode. Uh, obviously, we'll talk about uh, that, talk about uh, the other crazy stories from Hannibal, because we probably won't get too many chances to visit America's hometown to talk about that. So we'll do that all on the Patreon coming up next week. But Travis, before we wrap things up, are we missing anything? Uh, hey, Hannibal people. Hope you're uh, enjoying Wild Quincy. And uh, if you're curious about what's going on this side of the river, go check out our archives. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, make sure to uh, contact us too, right? I mean, that's an easy one. That is an easy one. Um, the best way you can do it is probably email wildquincy at gmail.com. You can also give us a call at our phone line, 612-666-9453. Leave us a voicemail, or you can text us as well to that number. Or you can catch us on socials as well. Yeah. Whatever works best for you, we'll be uh, looking for you. Yeah. Do you have a story from back in the day from your visit to Mark Twain Cave? Or have you seen the spot? If you have, uh, send us a message. Let us know. Or I want to talk have... to somebody that worked there. There's got to be some people, right? Somebody that can give us access to go see it. Come on, guys. I, I want to go right. I want to go right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so be doing that. Well, we appreciate you guys listening, and uh, we'll be back in two weeks for, with uh, former Mayor Chuck Schultz. Uh, so uh, be looking for that. For Travis Hoffman, I'm Chris Kedger. You've been listening to Wild Quincy. We'll catch you guys next time. Take care, everybody. Wild Quincy is released every other Tuesday and is produced by Chris Ketters and Travis Hoffman. Sound designed by Downdraft Sound and Editing and music by Travis Hoffman Music. I'm Bo Beecraft, and thanks for listening to Wild Quincy. Wild Quincy.